What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on combochurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. Go ahead and start reading the chapter, chapter 5 of the book of Acts, um, verse 12. It says, The apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Verse, let's go to verse 15. As a result of the apostles' work, sick people were brought out into the streets uh, on beds and mats. So Peter's shadow, this is crazy, so Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. That's cool, right? You're like, woo, that's great. That's a good day at church. Like, that's, that's stuff we can get excited about. And then we start asking ourselves some, what I believe are very valid questions, which is how come we're not seeing more of that happen? And I'm not necessarily talking about replicating the shadow thing. Like, that would be super cool. Like, shadow puppets, and then boom, people are healed. But it's not about seeing something happen and trying to replicate what happened What we do need to replicate is the environment that was created that led to the freedom of the power of God being released. That's what's important for us to understand and replicate, and that's the point of what I believe God is showing us, even in these first five chapters of the book of Acts. It's not just cool stories about how the church started. It's not just nostalgia. It's not just like thousands of years ago, it's completely irrelevant to who we are today. No, it was laying the groundwork and the foundation of how we're still supposed to be operating today as the hands and feet of Jesus. Because that's what the church is. It's the hands and the feet of Jesus. There's a reason why Jesus told the church, it's better if I go back to the Father. They're like, why is that better? We really think it's better for you to be here. Because I can see you, I can touch you, I can talk to you and actually see you as a uh, a physical person talk back to me. Let's just follow you for the rest of our life that way. You said, you said, follow you, and so let's continue to do that. And Jesus says, no, it's better if I go back to the Father, because if I do that, I'll be able to send my spirit. And because of the spirit of God being available to all who put their faith in Jesus, all of a sudden, the power of the kingdom of God begins to expand. Because it's not just in one person that everyone's following tangibly in the flesh. The spirit of Jesus is alive inside of all the people who put their faith in him. And all of a sudden, the power of God begins to multiply and multiply and multiply. So that's where we find ourselves. So, so cool things are happening right there, but then we see a pretty significant transformation, kind of like a, a, a twist in the story. Because it goes from what's happening from the people who are operating from the, the overflow of the presence of God. And then it goes into people who are not. And in verse 17, it says, the high priest and the officials and his officials who were Sadducees, and the Sadducees were um, a part of the the religious, uh, the Jewish religious environment of that time. They had Pharisees and Sadducees. Those were kind of the, the two leading religious groups. And they had theological differences. The Sadducees would have been known for those who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And so they kind of had a pretty significant issue with these people preaching Jesus resurrected <laughs> because it went against their theology. How many times do we shut down God because God goes against our theology versus us being open to the reality and the revelation of who Jesus really is. And they also didn't believe in supernatural. It was all about intellect. It was all about the Old Testament law. It was about following the letter of the law. That's where the power was, the obedience. That's where God was going to bless. 
And so they had a problem with what they were seeing from those who were the followers of Jesus. People that had already been identified as quote unquote common people, people who were not of great education, people who were not of significant pedigree, but they knew that they were men and women who were following Jesus. And they knew that they had been following Jesus because they were starting to do the same things that they watched Jesus do. And the crazy thing is they weren't just trying to copy Jesus, they were actually seeing people doing the same results that Jesus was doing. Like the sick were being healed, and not just some of them, it says, and they were all healed. That was a word that you see all the time around the ministry of Jesus. It says he had compassion on them. They were, he, the, the sick would come. Those who were possessed or, or oppressed by evil spirits. Uh, those who couldn't speak, who were blind, who couldn't hear. And he would, constantly they would use this word and they were all healed. So I love the same anointing that was on Jesus through his spirit came on those people. Because they were having the exact same results. It says that the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. Interesting. And then they arrested the, you know, just minor detail. And then they arrested the apostles threw him in jail. It says, but an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. I want you to be confident of something. Listen, just because things don't go your way when you're trying to follow Jesus, people trying to lock you up in a prison to hold you back from being who God says you are, you don't have to fight, you don't have to wrestle, you don't have to fight your own battles, because God's going to release you. He's got the key that's going to unlock you anyway. So it doesn't matter what relational, educational, uh, uh, you know, economic box people try to lock you in, God still has a key. So you don't need to worry about fighting those battles. He'll take care of it for you. It says he sent the angel of the Lord and he came and he led him out of jail. And he said he, he told them to go to the temple and give the people this, this message of life. What message is that? It's the good news of Jesus. The good news that he saves. The good news that God is not far from us. The good news that by the power, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, that we can not just be saved, but we can also live in the purpose for which we were created. A purpose that existed before you were even conceived. And I say that this morning because right now we got two brand new combo babies at the hospital. It's so cool. There are so many ways to grow a church. Anyway. You know what's funny? They were, they were literally two rooms apart from each other. Thought we had a baby takeover. Anyway, <clears throat> it says, so at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, and as they, uh, as they were told, and immediately began to teach. And when the high priests and the officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. That's, that's a big deal. That's not just a couple of influencers. That's the, whole, that's the whole assembly. And they sent for the apostles to be brought in from jail for trial. Uh, but when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. Wow. They returned to the council and reported the jail was securely locked and uh, the, guards standing, the guards were still outside, but when they opened up the gates, there was nobody there. And when the captain of the temple guard um, and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed. What a great description. This is wondering where it would all end. Now you have to remember, time frame, all these people who were on the council were the people who were also involved with, with sentencing Jesus to death. They were the ones who were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They were the ones when Pilate said, I don't see anything wrong with him. They're the ones that shouted out, let his blood be on, our, on us and our children. So you can understand why they were still having some issues with the Jesus people causing a problem. And it is an interest, it's interesting to me how religion calls a problem what other people call life-giving. What religion calls problem is other people being set free. What religion calls a problem is other people being healed. 
What religion calls a problem is other people finding new identity in Jesus Christ. It's, it's, still, uh, it's still happening, y'all. It says, then, then, then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple, and they are teaching the people. I, I think it's so intriguing when we look at how God chooses to operate to expand his kingdom. And we got to understand, when we look at these, these apostles, these disciples, and, and again, when we, the book of Acts is really highlighting the activity of the Holy Spirit through those individuals. But we got to understand something. It was not just about those individuals. Like this was, they, they were doing what they saw Jesus do. And the reason why it was important for them to do it was so they could teach others how to do the same thing. So don't ever allow yourself to get into a place where you allow the lie to come into your heart that says, well, that's just for uh, people who are pastors. That's just for the super spiritual people. They're the ones that are supposed to go out there and preach and teach and evangelize and knock on doors and pass out tracts and, uh, and, <laughs> and do all the work. No, that's actually not. We're actually told in Ephesians that, that let's, just, let's just personalize it. My job and our pastor's job is to equip you guys to go do the things, is to go do the work in the ministry. Because this isn't just some powwow to celebrate our spirituality and our love for God. This is our training ground that prepares us for what we're going to be living in Monday through Saturday. And it's very, very important for us to realize that. That's why in Acts chapter 2, it, it says that what defined the church is they dedicated them to some, to some things. And one of the things they were dedicated to as the church was the apostles' teaching. Well, what were they teaching? They were teaching the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus pointing everything to Jesus, and they were teaching and testifying the things they had seen firsthand that Jesus had done. And so that also meant it went beyond teaching and beyond education, and it went into life impartation. It went into people saying, okay, this isn't just about us having scriptural and Jesus head knowledge, because plenty of people throughout history have had, had head knowledge about what's in here and then have ended up damaging people because of the knowledge that they acquired. The out-of-context extra-biblical knowledge that they stole from what was meant to be true. So we have to ask ourselves the question, well then, well, then what's the point? It's not just about education. Christianity is not just about what you know. Christianity is about who you are. Christianity is about what you do. Christianity is about the life of God, not just impacting you so you feel good and you're pretty confident about, you know, having fire insurance from hell. You're pretty sure this is going to work out great. And then you just buckle down and live your life. Like, that's not Christianity. Christianity is being Christ-like. Where? To those who don't know Christ. So that they may. So that they may be introduced to something and someone that they don't know. So last week we talked about being people of the presence. And we're talking about the presence of God. And, and, and I get it. Even, even today I struggle to, to bring us to a place that hopefully can, can, can come across as an impartation of what God is trying to do today. And, and instead of just speaking of you know, we use this term presence of God, and that can be, like, really aloof, right? It can, like, that's super generic. Like, what do you mean by that? Like, is it something that is on the outside? Is it something on the inside? I'm like, yes. Is it something that you have to have faith for? Or is it something that you feel? I'm like, yes. Um, is it something that should transform you, or is it something that you have to choose to walk out? Yes. Like, it's like, how in the world is like, well, then what's the formula? It's like, I, I don't have one for you. There's, there's no, let me write a book. Here are the ten steps to to living constantly in the presence of God. Like, of course there's steps, of course there's principles, but, but at some heart it has to come from a sincere passion to connect with the life and the love and the grace and the reality and the truth of who God is. 
It can't come from just a cerebral knowledge of who God is. It has to be something that where we understand there's a transformation that has to take place from the inside out. It can't be from the outside in. The world works from the outside in. Look a certain way, act a certain way, talk a certain way, pretend to be something that you're not. And maybe eventually it might actually work its way in. And we believe what we see on the outside, and then we're surprised when what we see on the inside begins to come out. What God says, he's like, no, let's just go ahead and let's, let's cut to the good part. Let's go from the inside. And he goes straight into our spirit. He brings the saving grace when we put our faith in him. And he transforms our spirit for eternity. From being that of what was condemned for hell into something that not by our own works, but by the grace of God has been transformed into an eternity in heaven. And then he says, follow me. Because as you follow me, I'm going to transform your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It's the junk that you have to deal with every single day. Like when you get fired up at church, whoo, and then the first time somebody cuts you off in traffic, you're like, I'm ready to, I'll show you Jesus. You know, it's like we start calling on the name of the Lord, just kind of a little bit different different format. God's like, no, I want to I get a hold of that. The things that trigger us, the things that, that, that make anger rise up, the things that cause us to trip and fall in temptation when we know well and good that that's not what we should be doing. God's like, I'm from the inside out, just keep coming back to me because I'm going to work on those things. I'm going to bring transformation. It might take a minute, it might take a year, it might take a lifetime, but you keep following me. And from that, our exterior will follow. We will follow the things that we follow from the inside of our heart. Anyway, so we're talking about being people of presence. As a church, we are going to be dedicated to pursuing the presence of God. Now, I don't know if that's, you're like, well, yeah, isn't that what churches do? Yeah, I guess. That's what we should <laughs> That's what we should be doing, but I, I, I've been guilty of being distracted, right? I've been guilty of having moments where I've made it about something that it wasn't, and God's like, hello, over here. Hey, what are you doing? You're like, I'm doing your work over here. He's like, really? Okay, great, that's good. Why don't you stop doing that and come follow me? I'm like, all right. You know, it's, we have these moments, we just do, where we get distracted in the performance of what we think we're doing, and we get our eyes off the presence of what we should be pursuing. And so, and, and, that, and that's a good correction. That's okay. Like, that's okay. That's not where we have condemnation and we feel guilty. Oh, I did it again. I, I got distracted again. I sinned again. I fell again. I, I keep doing the things that I want to do when I know what I want to do isn't what God wants me to do. And it's okay. That's all right. It's not okay to continue to do it knowing that you're doing it, but it's okay to recognize that you did and let the grace of God pull you back up. Get around people who are going to go in the direction that you know you need to be going. Surround yourself with those type of Jesus people and begin to move in that direction. It's okay, but we have to continue to be passionate about pursuing the presence of God. And when I say that, it's not just at church. Like, this should not be the only place that you pursue the presence of God. If it will, Monday through Saturday will always be a grind and a struggle for you. But when we make the, the presence of God the, the passionate pursuit of our daily individual life, can you imagine what Sunday would feel like if Monday through Saturday you were just going after it? And then you came to church, and church was no longer about you know, dragging yourself in the door with like one fingernail. Like, I don't even want to be here, but I know I'm supposed to be here. I had a fight in the way here. I'm just whatever. And then by the end of church, you're like, oh, okay, I feel a little bit better. Whew, time to hold my breath and go back to real world, you know. And then you get knocked down again. Like, what if on our own, and if we were in a small group, which you need to be in a crew, by the way. That's, if you're doing life alone, you're doing it the wrong way. And, and this, this, this kind of counts, but you need to connect more deeply with people who, who love Jesus, who can encourage you and know your name and build a relationship with you. That's important. Get yourself in a crew. But we, we have to be pursuing all the time. And when we don't have the strength, because I don't know about you, I don't always have the energy 
to just be like, God, for God. You know, sometimes I have moments where I'm like, I need a break, you know. Or my flesh kind of gets in the way. Well, that's when I have people around me who are like, hey, hey, it's going to be okay. I'll, I'll even kind of carry you for a while, which I get visually, that's, that's a challenge. But I will carry you for a while. Like you need those people around you. And God's faithful throughout the whole process. And God is so faithful, he decides to put people in your life. It's not just you and God. It's not enough. I'm so tired, and I hear this from men more than anything, so I'm going to pick on my men. I'm so tired of hearing men talk about, oh, I, don't need, I don't need church for God. I can go out. I find God at the golf course. I find God in the woods. I find God. It's like, that's great. Good job. Good job. But, but what, are you, what community are you connecting to that now, because of your enlightened time with God, you're able to impact other people? Or are you just concerned about living your own life and making sure you don't go to hell, that you don't care about anybody else? Let's see. All right. Where are we, Where are we here in the notes? So here's the thing. Like, we, we got to be after the presence of God, but there's, where there's not necessarily like a 10-step formula that everybody can follow the same thing, there are principles that we need to know. And here's the one that I want us to hit today. Like, we, to be people of presence, we have to intentionally cultivate it. We have to cultivate and, and one of, the, one of the, the pictures that I got out of Scripture is, I think it's in Matthew 13, where Jesus is talking about that parable of, like, the seed and the sower, like the, the farmer with the seed. And, and he talks about, hey, you know, there was a farmer, and he had all this seed, and he, he was just throwing the seed all over the place trying to plant seed. And some of it fell on the rocks, some fell on the weeds, a couple of places where it wasn't producing what it should produce. And then he says, and then some fell on fertile soil, and it produced a harvest that was 30, 60, even 100 times more than was planted. And so, and I'm not a professional farmer. We've tried to grow some stuff at our house before, and sometimes really good results. Other times, not so good. And uh, which I, I, you know, I blame on the conditions more than, you know, our, our efforts. But the reality is, is that the soil, the condition of the soil determines the response of the seed. It's the same with pursuing the presence of God. Like, if you just say, even if the dirt is good and you throw the seed on the dirt, some of it might get in there. Some of it might take root. But before you even have the seed cast, if you're in there pulling weeds, tilling up the soil, putting some fertilizer in there, making sure it's cultivated so that when the seed actually gets planted, there's something healthy for it to take root in and begin to grow and to produce that fruit. If we want to be people who are going to be passionate about the presence of God, not just for the sake of being religious, passionate, weird people, but for the sake of realizing that our life comes from that, like our purpose, our identity comes from knowing the reality of who God is. If you have confusion about what your identity is, don't look in the world around you to get validation and answers because it's just going to get worse. You have to go to the creator to find out how you were created. And nothing can ever change that. Nothing can ever can transform that. The world would love for you to stay confused. The world would love to actually even make it more confusing. Because if, if they can hold you in a place of confusion, then they don't have to be accountable in the confusion in which they live. But God's looking to set us free. And the freedom is, yes, freedom from sin, but it's also freedom to live the life that God called us to live. And that's something that's only going to be unlocked in the presence of God. So here, I got a couple of thoughts. Yeah, yeah, sure. I got a couple of thoughts. The first one's not even really like a main point. It's just kind of like a foundational thing. We, if we're going to cultivate the presence of God in our life, we have to realize first and foremost that there is no substitute. There's, there's no artificial sweetener for Jesus. <laughs> there's only the stuff in the raw. You know what I mean? Like, there's no substitute for God in our life. 
But here's the thing. We, we've all put substitutes in place. Every single one of us. Some of it more subtle than others. Some of us maybe like our own backgrounds, things that we've done before, maybe even other religions or other, you know, we, we've all had substitutes for God. Even for some of us that may have been Jesus followers for many, many, many years. Like there have still been aspects of our life that maybe we have not fully given to the Lord because we've placed substitutes there. Here's the thing. What, what, what this is actually called is idolatry. Somebody racing out there. Sorry, easily distracted. Idolatry is when we try to substitute something else for God. Just, it's pretty simple. Like you read scripture, you look at idolatry, sometimes we, we, we tend to think it's, oh, it's the giant, you know, uh, God of gold that was made, and then we begin to bow down and worship this, and that's what we think idolatry is, but it's anything. And the reality is, like, even in the region in which we live, there, there's a lot of what would be considered, like, old-school biblical idolatry that's happening here. Whether it's people who are praying to, worshiping, interacting with crystals, trying to do, trying to get my, my future told by somebody who's looking at playing cards and all this type of stuff. And, and, and if, you know, if you're like, are you making fun of it? Yes, actually, I am. Um, because it is, a, it is an idol that is replacing us going to the actual source to give us answers for our life. You're like, well, I think it's real. No, it's real. It's, it's just demonic. Like, it's got power, but it's dark. So God's trying to take us to a place where there's actually light. And, 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 I, don't, and I don't need somebody with a crystal ball to tell me my future. I've got, I've got the word of God to tell me my future. I, I don't have to have all the details of who am I going to marry, who am I going to this, who is going to this, what's going to happen tomorrow. Because then it doesn't take any faith. It doesn't take any faith to trust God with the details of my life. We have to realize that there is no substitute for God. You can't work hard enough to provide enough to substitute the provision that comes from trusting God. You can't. You, you can't. you can't get into enough relationships, whether friendships or sexual relationships, to replace that identity piece that's going to come only from a relationship with God. Every single thing that you try to replace God with is going to be a, 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 a joke in comparison to what it is supposed to be when you go straight to the source. So if we're going to cultivate the presence of God, we have to have that declaration in our heart that says, number one, we realize that there is no substitute. And so even now, like, I would challenge you. Like, if you're taking notes, writing stuff down, that's, that's great. Like, write down some thoughts. Like, what are some things in my life that I have allowed to be substitutes? doesn't even mean that you're not saved. I'm not talking about salvation right now. I'm talking about you not giving 100% of yourself over to trusting the Lord. Like, what are, what are the idols in my life? Is it my bank account? Is it my online status? Is it my social media following? Is it, is it my insecurity about what other people think about me? Is it, is, it me, is it me being successful and having the right square footage in my house and having the right make and model of a car and having the right clothes to wear and having, you know, having people think a certain way about me? Are those idols in my life? And it could be as extreme as some of the other religious and spiritual things out there that are, are competing. So go there. Go there with yourself. I mean, I'm telling you, it's one of the big ones. God says in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, I, there will be no other God but me. And that's not an area that we want to test. God is a jealous God, and he doesn't have to apologize for that. But he will, he will not be mocked, and he will not allow you to have any other God but him. And so it's, it's none of this either or. It, it, God, God wants it all. God wants it all. Somebody needed to hear that. So here, here's, the main, here's the main, I guess, thought that I want to have that really helps us to begin to cultivate the presence of God in our life. And it's just this. You have to surrender your will. 
You have to, sur- you have to surrender your will. And, and maybe for somebody who's hearing that, you're like, okay, yeah, it's good. I wrote that down. What else? What else? I want to kind of, I don't really want to think about that too much. Let's skip to the next part. No, that's, it, doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere else unless there's full surrender. It doesn't go any, it doesn't go any deeper. There's, there's no greater walk with the Lord until there's full surrender in your life. So here, and listen to this. Surrender, because sometimes we're like faith. Faith is how we get started, so it's me choosing faith. And then once I choose faith, then I can really begin to lean into the Lord. And I think we're under this misconception that faith is something that we generate ourselves. Because that word gets used all the time. It's like, well, you know, my faith is this. My faith is that. And it's just another example of a word being taken from Scripture and being redefined to be whatever somebody wanted it to be. As we kind of live in this expanding culture of my truth is my truth, your truth is your truth, and which basically means there's no truth. Because if I think the lights are off and you say the lights are on, one of us is right. One of us is not right. That's what truth is. So culture would say, no, it's okay. If you don't think that those lights are on, then that's okay. You're allowed to think that there's no, no lights are on. I'm like, well, what are you smoking? Are you, the lights are on. There's an international symbol for surrender that, that, that it goes across any culture, any language, any barrier. And when people find themselves in a situation where they have no other option to surrender, what is it? Hands up. Right here. I surrender. Why, why is the hands up so important? Because it lets the other people know there's nothing else left in your hands that you can use to take control of the situation. Complete surrender to the Lord means that we no longer take our demands to God. Listen, this is what I mean by that. So this is the most common thing, I believe, when I look at Christianity as a whole. And I've struggled with this in my own life. I think everybody has in varying degrees. God, I surrender to you. I surrender most of me to you. I surrender, you know, the, the really important spiritual parts to you. But here's a list of my demands. If you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, if you bless me, then I'll make sure to tithe. If you, if you promise me a bright future, then I'll never give up on my family. If, I mean, we, we begin to find all these different things where we end up basically acting like a terrorist before the Lord. We embrace what is easy for us to receive, and then we make demands of what else we want from the Lord. And God's like, no. Here, <laughs> this is going to be kind of a little crazy statement. And we'll see if it gets edited out later. But God doesn't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> just, I'm not, just think about this. You're like, well, isn't that his grace? No, no, no. Because his grace is not a negotiation t- tactic to talk you out of sin. Grace is what he pours out in the, in the presence of repentance. So, so faith is something that you receive when you fully surrender. I'm not just talking about the faith that says, yeah, I believe in God. Like, oh, good. Yeah, you know, when I get, you know, the tax form and it's looking for religion, I, I, Christian, other, yeah, that's me. I believe in God. Yeah, I'm pretty, I believe that there's a God, you know, <laughs> and kind of all over the place. But then I want to I kind of go all like Book of James on people. Because James is a little bit hardcore if you read his book in the New Testament. He's like, oh, you say you believe in God. Fantastic. 
So do the demons. So is the devil. You're in great company. Actually, the only difference between the devil and the demons and the pit of hell and you is that at the mention of the name of Jesus, they tremble. Yeah, we stand before, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, pretty sure. Man, I don't think I've killed anybody, so. God owes me eternal salvation. I mean, I've bought somebody's coffee when they were in line behind me, so. Yeah, it's going pretty good. James says, that's so good. I'm so proud of you for believing that there's a God. That's good. That does nothing unless you have full surrender. Because the belief that God wants us to have in him isn't just that he exists. It's in knowing the reality of who he is. And because we have the reality of who he is, there's a fear inside of us. I know a lot, a lot, of, a lot of preachers I've heard, they try to downplay the fear thing. Like, like guys, don't, don't be scared. Don't be scared of God. He's, he's, he's soft and gentle. Okay, okay, I get it, slow to anger, abounding in love, I, there's, I get that. But there's only one that has the authority to send us to heaven or hell. There are, there are scriptures that I read in the New Testament where it's like the people came before God, and, and this is Jesus speaking, and he says, he's telling, it's almost like a parable, he's like, you know, you came before him, he said, hey, we cast out demons in your name. Like stuff like we just saw, right? Our shadows touched people and they were healed. We even preached your gospel. We preached in your name. And Jesus' response to them is like, and you are? Who are you? Yeah, you can depart from me because I don't have any relationship with you whatsoever. I don't even know who you are. So it's not about what we do in Jesus' name on our own if we have yet to surrender ourselves to being addicted to pursuing the presence of God. Because here's the thing, pursuing the presence of God will become the thing that leads us to a life of purpose. Right now in our world, we are surrounded, it breaks my heart, whether it's young people, children, teenagers, adults, there are people who are struggling even with the existence of continuing to live because they don't feel like their life has purpose. They don't feel like their life has any value. They don't feel like their life has any meaning. And I, I don't blame them. If I don't know who God is and I don't believe in this stuff and I've lived a life that kind of makes me believe this, then what's the purpose of living? That's where we enter the church and the people of God intervene to say, for the love of God, don't give up on it because you were created with purpose. I don't have all the answers figured out, but I know who does. And if we get, can lead people to the presence of God, it's not gonna make all the problems go away overnight. That's never been a promise. But it builds something inside of us that says, I know where my hope is gonna come from. I know where my strength is gonna come from. Here's what the presence of God will do in your life. It's gonna give you purpose. The presence of God in your life is gonna, gonna give you value. And the presence of God in your life is gonna give you meaning. And those are the things that are causing people to question whether they should even continue to live. It's because there's no other God that can replace that. Drugs can't replace that. Sex can't replace that. Money can't replace that. Nothing in this earth will ever be able to replace what happens when we become people of the presence. Today I wanted to actually, like as I was praying and praying, planning and all that kind of stuff, I wanted to go from like, yeah, we're people of the presence and then people of the presence become people of purpose and talk about living with our purpose. We'll get there, maybe. But God was like, no, you just, you gotta, I want you to hang out when it comes to my presence. 
going back to what referenced last week when Moses was, in all reality, kind of having an argument with the Lord. And they were in the wilderness trying to lead them to the promised land. And because of their sin and their stubbornness, God was like, I'm done. Aren't you glad God's not done with you today? <laughs> God told Moses, all right, go to the promised land. Actually, I'll even send angels ahead of you. I'll, I'll get all the enemies out there. You can have your promised land, but I'm not going with you. And Moses said, it is your presence that makes us different, that sets us apart. It's actually the same word that gets used for holy. Holy, set apart, set apart for the things of God. It wasn't their language, it wasn't the law, it wasn't their their ethnicity, it wasn't any of those things that set them apart from the other people in the world, which in a natural sense we'd be like, yeah, it does. No, it's the presence of God. So when the, when the world is looking for answers, they're not gonna look for people who have the most scriptures memorized which you should memorize scripture. They're not looking for the people that have the best church attendance records, but you should be faithful and planted in the church. They're not gonna look for people who have great tithing records, although you need to be faithful to what the Bible teaches. They're looking for people who have encountered the presence of God. They don't know to say it that way. The world doesn't, you know, what I'm really looking for is people who carry the presence of God. You know, it's like, they don't know how to verbalize that, but when they see it, they'll know it. When they see it, they'll know what's different. When they'll see it, when they see it, they'll know what's missing in their own life. And it may be intangible. They may not even know what to, they'll say things like, I don't know, it's your vibe, man. I like your vibe. I don't know what it is. Like you've got, a, you've got an aura. You just smile and nod, just smile and nod. Be like, yeah, got the aura thing going, yeah. And be like, hey, do you, wanna, do you wanna know what it is? And when they notice it, that's when you have an opportunity to share it. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, broken people want solutions. They don't want religion. Religion already let them down. Religion's already given them a bad taste in their mouth about Christianity. And if they continue to circle the mountain of all the other things that the world offers that's never going to amount to anything, then yeah, it leads to a place of complete despair and hopelessness. We cannot. All right, here's my last thing. This last week, we got to gather here with um, with five other churches, five other pastors, and we just prayed for the city. So cool, it was so cool. And we were talking about just the need in our, I'm talking about Northern Nevada specifically. Like this is your home. Whether it's Reno Sparks, whether it's from one end, whether it's all the way across to the other end, talking Elko, everything like that. Like in Northern Nevada, there are 122 identified Bible-believing Christian churches that preach Jesus. Um, in northern Nevada, there's roughly a million people. If, I'm not good at math, so bear with me. If every single one of those churches had 1,000 people in them, that's what? 122,000 people. Which means that just under 900,000 people potentially don't know Christ. Which means that close to a million people are going to perish without understanding and hearing the message of Jesus Christ. And so this is where I get a little bit transparent with you guys. We've got this mentality inside of us. So she's just marching around the walls. If they fall down, don't even worry about it. She's a woman of faith. Holy Spirit, activate. <laughs> but listen, when we're concerned about the size of church making us feel comfortable or not, we're missing the picture. 
you should pray that every single church becomes a mega church. And I'm not talking in the context of like the production in a show and entertainment. I'm talking about where we just can't contain the people who are gathering because of the name of Jesus Christ. When we get comfortably like, well, you know, the reason I like your church, and I, just gonna be real, I get this a lot, guys. You know, I really like your church because you know, it's, I feel like I can meet everybody. It's small, it feels good, it's comfortable. And I wish, if you ever tell a pastor that their church is comfortable, you're just like, ugh. Thanks. <laughs> ugh. Glad you like it here. But I I'm always tell people, I'm like, don't get used to it. Because if, if we do this right, we're going to create an environment that attracts a lot of people. A lot of broken people. A lot of people that don't have it all figured out yet. A lot of people that don't, here's my air quotes, that don't act right. That don't talk right. You feel the air quotes coming through, right? Okay. That, that don't have all the things, that don't have the, the words memorized that we talk to each other at church, which I'm not against that. There is a language in scripture that we need to identify. And so, if we're in this for the presence of God, then we will also be in this for the purpose of God. And the purpose of God is that none should perish. The purpose of God is that the church is the vehicle that carries the presence of God. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is the power that fills us so that we can go out and not just live saved, but live called. Called to our region, called to our neighborhoods, called to our communities. Guys, we need thousands and thousands of more churches in Northern Nevada. We don't just need 122 churches to blow up. We wouldn't be able to contain it. So this spirit of competition that exists within the church world has got to die. That's actually idolatry. This um, spirit of like, well, my theology is better than their theology. It's like, listen, we're gonna, we can, it's okay if we're not unified on secondary and third level issues. But if we're unified on, on the primary things, which is, which is Jesus, it's eternity, it's the word of God, it's the power of the Holy Spirit. But yeah, then we can walk together. We can do this. We can tag team. Because Combo Church is called to reach certain people. Grace Church is called to reach certain people. Living Stones is called to reach certain people. And you can go on and on and on through the list. We all have a grace to reach certain people in our region. This is the plan of God. It's not man's idea. Because if it's man's idea, it's a really stupid idea. But if it's God's idea, then it just might work. And if it's God's idea, we have to be connected to the presence of God. Thank you again for joining us on the Combo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Combo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ComboChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening. And make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.